Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 12. We'll begin with the 38th verse. If you are following along in the Pew Bible, it is on page 49 of the New Testament. For those of you who may be reading from your own Bible or from a smartphone, I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Listen now for God's living word to you, the people of God. As Jesus taught, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, to be greeted with respect in marketplaces, and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus sat down opposite of the treasury and watched the crowd putting in money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. And then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, the poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed from their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she has, all that she has to live on. Friends, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Would you pray with me? Reveal, O God, your wonder to our eyes and open our hearts to Christ's love. Disperse from our minds any darkness and fill our lives with your light. Protect us, O God, from thoughts without action. Guard us from words without life. Grant us wisdom to walk in your ways and open us always to the guiding of your spirit. Amen. So when I was in high school, I played tennis. I was pretty good. I like to think I was pretty good anyway. That might be because I came from a family that played tennis with generations of great tennis players. My grandfather played in college and my dad was in, played for a competitive high school team here in, in Michigan. And when I got to high school, it turned out I was good enough to make some of my teammates feel threatened. Those varsity positions that they assumed were theirs now had some competition. And in the middle of high school, in the middle of 10th grade, my family moved, which meant that I was at a new school with a new tennis team. So when tryouts came in 10th grade, I, I played for a spot on the team and I, I didn't make the cut. It came as a surprise to me and to some of the varsity players that I'd been playing with leading up to the tryouts. I didn't think I was going to make the varsity team, but I, was, I felt like I was a pretty dead lock for JV. 
And having not made the team, I kept playing tennis anyway. I loved the sport, and I wanted to improve so that I could make the team in 11th grade and 12th grade. So I played for a tennis club that was not school-affiliated, and I worked on my game. My serve became faster, more consistent. I improved my fitness level. I got smarter about how to play the game strategically. I poured myself into training, and along the way, I also made some really great friends in this new club, friends I may not have made had I not been cut from the team. But for this season, this year between 10th and 11th grade, between tryouts, I gave my whole self to achieving a new level of play on the tennis court. It was not enough, though. The next year, despite even demonstrating that I had a competitive edge over other players who made the team, I still didn't make the cut. I asked why, and the coach said that they wanted younger players who would have more time to develop. Even though I could beat them on the court, they were taking a chance on people that might achieve a higher level than I was at that time. In a few years' time, they might have a better game than I have. And that was it. That was pretty much the end of my life in competitive tennis, though I continued to enjoy playing it for many years. It's a strange moment in one's life when something comes to an end like that, and it brought some really important lessons, the most significant of which was that I learned to devote myself commit my whole self to something, to learning, to improving, at something that was meaningful to me. I learned the value of finding people to do that work with, people to play with on the court, people who could challenge me to be a better player, people who could teach me things that I did not know, people who could show me what I could not see about my own ability. I think I grew more, though, as a result of not making the team. As a person, I grew more individually for not having that opportunity. Sounds strange to say it in hindsight, but I learned that achieving those goals that we set for ourselves are important. But then I couldn't make my goal. And I learned about what it means to grow in the face of disappointment. And the experiences that we have that disappoint us, some experiences that we have can even break us. Those experiences can strengthen our character and our identities. And sometimes they may not, but our goal, our hope is that in the face of them, we can be remade and restored to be a stronger, healthier individual. Seeking self-knowledge in the face of such experiences is necessary for this to happen. And this self-understanding can lead us to fuller and more 
a more complete life if we are able to do that work. It only happens, though, when we find that we are a whole person, a whole self, regardless of the circumstances of our lives. We read today the story of the generous widow. This widow has a sense of her whole self. The scripture says that she gives her whole self, her entire self, when she walks by the treasury. This is a story that has many layers, more than a single sermon can address. And on the surface, the story says that she put her whole livelihood into the temple treasury, as in she gave all of the money that she had. And she had two coins, two copper coins. She places them in the box. She gave everything that she had. Now, people often tell the story of the generous widow as as though it was about her money. Teachers of the Bible and we pastors up here in the pulpits often praise her for emptying her already thin pockets, this incredible faithfulness that she has, this amazing stewardship and willingness to give. She's often compared then, Jesus compares her even to those wealthier people who walk by and give from their surplus. As we read the story, we hear that sound of those two coins dropping into the treasury and And the story becomes about money to us. Some even call it the classic stewardship text. And the widow becomes a model of giving. Look, disciples, look at these coins. Look what she gave. But this story is a lot more than this. This story is about a lot more than money. What the widow gives is far greater than the money she has, even if she had far more to give. Some might even go so far as to say that money is simply the context and the story is not actually about money at all, and she gives far more than coins. She gives her very identity, her very sense of self, her very being. She gives her faith. So when the widow enters the temple, and the Bible says that she gives, it says that she gives, in Greek, it says that she gives ton halon. Greek's fun because it rhymes a lot. She gives ton halon. It can be read to say that she gave all that she had, as we've been thinking of, but it can also be read to say that she offered her whole self, everything that is her, she gave. To read that she gave all is a matter of resources. But offering her whole self, that is a matter of identity. She offers 
Kahan Halon, the Bible says. She offers the whole of herself, the entirety of her being, and you've heard this word before, though you do not know it. Well, actually, maybe you do. There's a Jewish teacher of the New Testament, Amy Jill Levine, and she points to another biblical story where a scribe asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? If you know your Bible, you may recall this story. This was our worship text just a few weeks ago, a few Sundays ago. And Jesus says to the scribe, or when Jesus asks, the, the, the conversation leads to, this is what you give. You give to God by loving the Lord with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. All, 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 halon, halon, halon. The widow gives ton halon. She gives all of herself. The word here is used to define the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And it could be read to say, love the Lord your God with the whole of your heart and the whole entirety of your soul, the whole of your mind, your, the whole of your strength. The story of the generous widow is a story about giving one's entirety, one's whole self to God. And she gives with all of her heart and all of her soul. She gives with the whole of her mind and the entirety of her strength to God. And with this kind of understanding of the widow's actions, Amy Jill Levine describes her not as a model of stewardship, though it may be. Amy Jill Levine describes her as a model of Christ, of living like Christ in the world, just as Christ gave of his entire self, his entire life, on the cross. The widow becomes a model of how we give our entire sense of self, our entire being, faithfully to God. The Christian teacher Parker Palmer has written a lot about living with a sense of wholeness. He wrote a book called A Hidden Wholeness, and in it, Palmer writes that wholeness does not mean perfection, as in it doesn't mean you make the tennis team. Wholeness does not mean perfection. It means embracing brokenness as an integral part of life. Knowing this, Palmer says, gives me hope that human wholeness, mine, yours, ours, need not be some far-fetched dream if we can use our devastation as a seedbed for new life. If we can use the things that disappoint us, hurt us, break us, and recognize that we are God's beloved in the middle of them, that our identity is not about what has happened to us, 
but who God has created us to be. Seeds of new life are planted, and we still, we still can faithfully give ourselves to God by the way we live in our lives out in the world. And Jesus contrasts the life of the widow who gives her whole self. Jesus contrasts her behaviors with those of religious authorities. Beware, Jesus says, of those who put on appearances. Beware of those who seek recognition for themselves. Beware of those who take seats of honor, who take, who take, who take. Parker Palmer would say that these people that Jesus is describing are living with a divided sense of self, not a whole self, but a divided self. Divided from themselves, divided from one another, and divided from God. And the divided self operates from a sense of survival instinct. It protects us from those discomforts, from those uncertainties, those disappointments, those things that break us. That sense of a divided self works to put a wall up to protect ourselves so we don't have to face the things that we don't want to deal with. It might use assumptions or false characterizations of ourselves or other people, or it might, the divided self might create rules to try and avoid facing our fears. But it also neglects the gift, the gift that we learn from the generous widow, the gift which is that we are made for wholeness. We are made to give ourselves to God. And then in turn, having had this experience, this sharing of life with God, this life in Christ, we too recognize ways that we give ourselves to one another, that we as a church give ourselves to the world around us, that we give our whole selves rather than divided selves so that the world around us too may know what is whole, what is life-giving, what is full of grace. Christ revealed that we can seek wholeness even when our experiences hurt us or break us or divide us. That there is a way to live through to find another way that is life-giving. The Bible says that people, you, me, us, we are made in the image of God, which means that God has designed people to live with a wholeness, a whole sense of self that is able to be shared with the people around us. Friends, a faith that guides us to live with wholeness means giving our whole self to God. 
just as the generous widow did. We give of our lives with all of our heart, the whole of our heart, the whole of our soul, the whole of our mind, the whole of our strength. That together, each one of us as a whole self rather than a divided self might join Christ in pointing the world to the things that give life, to the things that bring life, the things that open people to new life. May we see these ways opening in us, in one another, in the world around us, this day and always. Amen.